Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Hi, I'm Rich Irani, and welcome to Rich in Life. Today, we have Shane Anderson, international photographer and producer. You know, as the creative director of Chucky's New York, Choosing collections, styles, and trends that were going to succeed is kind of my specialty. So you know what I'm talking about when I say that Shane Anderson is one to watch. He's been compared to Andy Warhol and Steven Meisel. Born into the generation of social media, Shane's taken the classical route. He didn't just pick up a phone and build an Instagram account in order to be famous. Not that there's anything wrong with it. But instead... He left the Midwest, traveled to Milan, London, interning and working his way through Europe. He is here with me now. We talk about his inspiration, his passions, and with a soft conviction, we discuss social media, freedom of speech, and how it relates to condemning versus canceling. Let's get to it. So I'm talking to Shane Anderson. He is a um, famous photographer, and uh, he has a lot of things in his life that he was trained to do, but photography, I guess, was his number one passion. And we're going to talk to him today about how he got there and what his other hobbies are. You grew up in Ohio, I know, right, Shane? Missouri. It's close enough. It was Missouri. Close enough. Okay. I know that, um, <laughs> close enough, you were in the Midwest. And uh, I know that you, like, you studied mathematics, right? Am I right about that? Yes, that's correct. I and, studied uh, a lot. Did you study classical bass or? Yeah, so I, I played an instrument since I was 12, I think. Uh, and then it kind of expanded into going into university for that. And uh then mathematics too. I'm kind of a mixed bag. So yeah, you really are. So what happened with the with the bass? Because that's an interesting. That's really. I mean, my brother's a musician, so I know how amazing it is, and you know how much attention you get when you're in a band. Were you in a band or band? More more of an orchestra. Uh, though in high school they tried to make me join the marching band. If you want to count that. That yeah. Okay. <laughs> As some band, I'm more classically trained, but uh, whenever I'm traveling, especially with people, I still get the, are you guys in a band vibe? So maybe it's uh, latched on to me a little bit. It, it okay. kind of has that aura to it. So yeah, you, you have a classical way about you in general, even your photography, everything about you is kind of, you know, un- unusual in a great way. It's kind of like dark, it's interesting. And I kind of like that because um, that's the kind of look that I like as well in terms of art and music. You know, I'm a huge fan of Lana Del Rey. I like her theatrics, I like her dark side. And same thing with the art. You know, me and Brad have a photograph of somebody on the lethal injection chair in our living, in our living room. So anytime anyone sees it in the background- How big is it? It's huge. It looks like it's sitting at the head of the table. I think that's the only way to display that. Yeah, it's at the head of the table. So he's almost looking like he's sitting at the dining room table. It's the artist Paul Richard, who I like. I've heard the name. Yeah, I, we, I discovered him and I've told the story before. It's funny though. I discovered him maybe 20 years ago. I saw him in, um, in an art gallery in Chelsea. And I remember saying it was closed that I'm going to go back. And I don't care how much that art is, even if it's like $1,000, even if it's $2,000, I'm going to buy it. I went back, it was like eight grand. I wound up like putting it on deposit on layaway or something. They called me like two years later and they're like, you have to pick this up. I mean, if it's worth it, it's worth it. Uh, I think it's worth the stories or reactions, I guess you get when you have people over for dinner. Well, that actually wasn't the first one I got. I got a few other pieces before, and then I just came addicted to his work. It was all just also electric chairs. Or is it all very dark? It's all very dark. Yeah. All of his stuff is really dark. Although he does have drips that he does, you know, on, um, he just does these drips where the, the paint never leaves the paper and they just, you know, they come out as, uh, you know, people, he does like portraits Mm. of people in drips. So that's kind of cool. But um, what I love about you is that you have such a cool look about you. You're so young. I told you already, you remind me, you have the look of Kurt Cobain, but yet you have the androgyny of Andy Warhol. It's like, (laughs) 
And you I, I don't know. Yeah. I've been compared to a lot of people. I most often get Timothy Chalamet. For, I, I think if my head goes down like this a little bit, I don't know, maybe it's a younger thing, new, fresh, whatever. Uh, but I've got Kurt Cobain before as well. And uh, Warhol has been tossed around a few times too, uh, which are all, I mean, great compliments. They're uh, all great. I mean, I mean, my life, it's like you said, my work's very classical, but I'm still very androgynous in a way. I mean, I don't try to be, it just kind of what comes out. Uh, but I think everything, at least for me and my art, it's based in the kind of classical way of thought or everything. Like when, I, when I'm looking for inspiration, I hardly ever look to photographers. I'm always looking at sculpture or, you know, paintings or uh, things like this. I think it has a lot more value, at least for me, when I'm composing something. Well, you started so young in, in the Midwest and like, were you dying to get out? Were you like counting down the days before you were going to, you know, I know you left high school. You're like me. That, we have that in common. I'm nowhere near as talented as you in any way, but we do have the one thing in con common. Unfortunately, it's the negative thing that we both dropped out of high school. I, I'd love to claim I dropped out of high school, but it was just college. Oh, I think you, <laughs> you left me in the dust. So you, you actually finished high school? Oh my goodness. Yes, I did. I do have a high school degree, but that's about it. Uh, <laughs> well, good for you. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, to be quite honest though, in the Midwest, at least I never left the Midwest until I left the country, which wow. is quite a drastic uh, switch, I guess. But uh, for me, it was never really like oh, counting down the days because there was never like a reference point. It's not like I'd been to you know, vacation to, I don't know, Europe and then been like, oh my gosh, I want to go here one day. It was kind of a slow process of discovering, just wanting to see something new. So I can't say I counted down the days, but one day, you know, something just strikes you and then you- uh, Did you even start off in college or you didn't even go to college? I went to college for about a year and a half studying the base. Uh, okay. They, they gave me a nice scholarship and that was just kind of the, I mean, especially in the Midwest, that's kind of the thing you do, you know, you get a great scholarship, you go up to school, you get the degree, and then uh, halfway through, like I was running a photography business on the side back then. And then uh, I got a LinkedIn message from Google one day saying, oh, because here's the thing, I went to school in Nebraska, where the population of that city is like 300,000 people. And me with my like 1500 Instagram followers at the time was like, oh my God, influencer status. So so I got a message uh, from Google one day and they said, oh, do you want to be an influencer for this new app? Yeah. And then I had all these things going on. I'm like, why am I studying music? I don't care about this. Like, it's fun, but I don't want to do this. So then I quit. It's incredible. <laughs> I'm so jealous of you. It's like, I was jealous of my brother too. He played every instrument by ear and I talked to you and you have all these talents. Brad too, from the Midwest, he plays the cello, speaks Italian, but he did what you did at 18 years old. Him and his twin brother went to Milan. You, where did you go? You went straight I went, to Europe. Yeah, I went to London because I never left the country before and I wanted to know at least the language. Right. But I met up actually funnily enough with these Italian guys yeah. uh, in London. So then I was between Milan and uh, London for quite a while. So So now, what were you, 18 or 19? Maybe uh, 19. About 20. 19. And so I, my birthday was somewhere in there, depending on when I count it. 19 slash 20. Yeah. Okay, so now uh, so, you're there, and did you go there with money? How, how did you plan on making money? Did you have a career in mind? Is that where the photography, you went there for inspiration and see maybe, you know, what can I do? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's some level I went because it was kind of like gut instinct. And I mean, to some people that's esoteric, but uh, for me, it, it's enough a lot of the time. Uh, so I just felt London. So I went to London instead of New York or something, which would have been much easier. I mean, I went over there on a uh, a tourist visa. I had a lot of freelance clients back in the States, which is where I was making a lot of my uh, money. So when I was over there, I was, you know, working really weird hours. Uh, but I, I mainly, I'd, I'd say I went there for inspiration for a lot of it. Or I can't say I went there for inspiration, but that's kind of what developed out of it because anyone who's past 20 years old, which I imagine a lot of people listening to this are, just because that's such a low age, I think 1920. 21 even, uh, they're, they're such formative years of your life. So you can grow up in a whole environment, but then have these years shape you. So having those years abroad uh, in different cultures and languages uh, really also shaped my, my artistic style as well. Um, 
So it's really juxtaposed for this reason, I think. So what's crazy is that you actually were successful even before you went. You said you were making money as a photographer before you went to London, right? Yeah, but then it got a whole bunch harder. <laughs> because you, uh, it got a whole bunch harder. Of course. Ba I mean, back in the Midwest, it's easy enough to get a market and, you know. Right. Get all the high school seniors and the families. Well, and graduations, you were probably like doing graduations and stuff like that or? Yeah, my biggest competition was this guy who had no, no shame if you're into this, I suppose. I mean, have your own discourse. But this guy, my main competition was like these 16 to 18 year old girls like straddling motorcycles and these like bras. And my main question is not to him, but to the parents, like these are your child's senior portraits. You want to frame that and put it on your wall. Do you like, it's like, I mean, maybe it's like your electric chair uh, uh, illustration. It, they it want could their, be, their yes. daughter. <laughs> yes, I but know. I don't put my kids on it. That's the thing. You know what I mean? It's like, I do that. And you know, that's my thing. I don't put it on my kids. Yeah. So that was the, the, the main competition, I guess. So I guess it was easier to do that. And you have friends, you know, and they, they refer you. So whatever, it was easy enough. But uh, as soon as you go into a big city, it's a whole new, a whole new world of competition and artistry really because I was kind of the you know avant-garde one back in my community and then of course you're just in a pool so it becomes more a lot more about other things and just you, you become a little diluted when you go to a place like London as a young artist but I have to tell you I mean you must have been pretty good because you know you met people that took you under your wing you want to tell tell me about it uh I'd say I don't want to say I got lucky because I don't know if I believe in luck so uh -huh. much. I think there's a lot of opportunity that passes anyone, but you have to be mentally aware enough to see it and then you have to be skillful enough to capture it. Um, so my my serendipity, I guess I got an Airbnb after living a week in a hostel, which was horrible. Like I thought I could do it. I thought I it could just hostile. hostel hop. Yes, it was very, very. <laughs> the, the thing that got me out though, was I'm a big shower person. Like I love just like after that, you know, winding down shower. This one was like, you had to push a button and it, the water would come on for five seconds and you have to push it again. But the, the catch was it would be cold for three seconds, hot for a good one second. And then it would like start to trickle and turn off. So you had like 80% of your time was just freezing water and then you had to push it again and the cycle just repeated. So, <laughs> uh, I got an Airbnb. I'm like, I'm not dealing with this. And the guys that owned it were these, these two Italians. Uh, and then, I mean, the rest is history, I guess, as you'd say. But uh, I mean, there was an opportunity there and I, I, I captured it, which also is a lot about photography too, capturing a moment and seeing it. See, like, that's a great story. So it, it took you to go to London and to be in this hostel Hostel, hostel, yes. Yeah, yes, in a hostel, hostel. I mean, literally and figuratively in the hostel, <laughs> banging to get water out of the shower. But it turns out the people that owned it were people in the photography business. What kind of a business was it that? So so I left the hostel and then found them in the random place I chose. Uh, Got it. They, I don't think they would ever own that hostel. They'd be like, they'd make it better than that. They're too artistic for that. Um, but anyhow, yeah, they, uh, one was a photographer. Well, they both were photographers. One yeah. was working more commercially and the other uh, mainly ran a studio. So uh, I was really able to just watch from the inside and see how things operated in a major studio in the city. Uh, so just, just being there and looking at that. Did you get to work at any point with them? I mean, uh, it's hard to say because, uh, you know, everything, again, was like almost like an intern, you know. I had no experience in the field at all, so it's not like they were going to pay me. And then there's a whole matter of visas and everything. So right. it's a bit more complicated in that sense. But uh, for me, just being there and watching was like enough value because, I mean, I had these clients back in the U.S. It was enough for me to eat. Um, so working making money making a lot of money I, I mean i don't know but for me that experience there was invaluable just to see and have the knowledge of how everything operates because from that you can grow so much right you know you know it's interesting because i have a lot of friends that are artists in different ways whether they're designers photographers and i always say um if you're not making money at some point then it's just kind of an expensive hobby that you have you know and i don't know if that 
is something you can relate to. I guess maybe you're very young. I, I talk to people maybe that are a little bit older. I think when you're young, it's great to have a passion and to do what you, you know, follow what you love to do because ultimately there's a very strong chance or maybe not that you can be successful at it enough to make a living. Was that something that was in the back of your head or you didn't care? I mean, you were so young anyway back then. I mean, you're still young now. What do you, in your mid twenties, right? 20, yeah. what are you, 25? I'm guessing, Minus I don't know. I, didn't I, was born at, <laughs> I was born in 98. I'll let you do the math. Oh, God. Me do the math? <laughs> I'm not the mathematics. I have no idea. Good, good. I you, thought you Brad modeled it in the 70s, so don't go by me. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I guess that's kind of always there. And for me, it was kind of a, a bit of a harsh reality in the sense that I went from, I'd, I'd say, a, a good amount of abundance when I was back there. Uh, in in Nebraska to, I don't want to say scarcity, but I was definitely making a lot less because my clients had turned all digital, which means it was more like graphic design work and uh, things like this. So, I mean, yeah, but at the end of the day, I was only there for about, I was between London and Milan for like about a year. So, and I knew this going into, I knew I was like, okay, I have this much time here. I just really want to focus on, you know, getting that base. Uh, now, of course, that I'm in the city in New York, which is actually a lot more expensive. Everyone thinks London's so expensive, but that's just because of the currency. But if you're living there, it's not horrible, I guess. But being in New York, living here, working here, especially during a pandemic now, yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely more in the back of my mind now. Than you're thinking about it more now. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it could become an expensive hobby. Of course, it depends what your goals are. I mean, do you want to make a career out of it or you just enjoy having that hobby and maybe getting it published in magazines? Okay, great. That's my question to you. That's what I want to know. Is it something that you want to do out of a passion? I mean, right now, you know, New York is expensive, but I'm Mm -hmm. assuming you don't have anybody else to worry about now. So maybe you want to continue this or do you have something, you know, in your mind for your future? Do you, where do you see yourself in a couple of years from now or 10 years from now? Well, for me, as we sort of already touched on, I have so many different interests and hobbies and it's always been difficult for me to kind of nail down exactly you know, what I want to do. I mean, I also had the issue of people telling me what I should do. Like when I was doing music more, everyone's like, oh, you should keep doing this. You'd have a great career as a professional musician, blah, blah, blah. But in the end, that's not what I wanted to do. So I, I set it down because in the end of the day, I, I'm going to go for what I want and I can be pretty focused. Right. So I think photography, at least for me, it's a means of more things. It's something I'm really good at. It's something I You enjoy. could have been an accountant. Art of it. I could. That doesn't sound, that sounds very. It does. It's the opposite of you. <laughs> I mean, it's literally the opposite of the way you look, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Imagine I'd be the best accountant ever. Um, but uh, and, and I'll tell you the one great <laughs> thing about accounting is you actually need a person to do it for you. You need two hands and a brain. It's not like you know everything else that you need the internet for. It's no, you know, it's horrible because my accountant. I'm sure I I annoy them so much because I'm so hands on and I'm always emailing them like, let's try to do this, let's do this, do this, and then they'll tell me, you know, this we can't do this because but 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 I'm like, thank God because I would break probably. Like, 20 laws without even knowing it if I didn't have them (laughs) but I'm always harassing them with new ideas like can we save money here can we do this and sometimes like every once in a while they'll be like oh you know that maybe we should do this instead I'm like there we go see I have to be careful but uh it's great I'm jealous you have such an amazing um you have such amazing skills I don't have any of these skills okay the biggest skill though I have to say similar on the same line is you have to be smart enough which I don't know if this classifies as intelligence smartness or just like street smartness, but you have to be smart enough to say, no, I can't do that right now. I don't have enough energy to do that right now. Uh, I don't have the expertise to do that right now. And then you have to delegate that to someone like me with accounting. Yes, I have these great ideas, but if I know all the ins and outs of the law, I'm I'm a liar. So I I say, okay, I'm going to delegate this to someone because I'm going to do something and then it's going to turn into a nightmare. And I don't (laughs) want part of that. And I also think the other good part is that I realized from my, you know, for many years I've, you know, gone to Europe buying and and designing. I always find that when I have to think about things like money or things behind the scene, it gets in the way of my creativity. 
I feel mm. like I can't multitask in that way. I could multitask in so many other ways, but when I'm being creative and I have to come up with a collection, whether either designing one or bringing one into the shop, I don't know why I just can't focus on anything else. And when I get bombarded with menial questions about money or anything, I get nervous. And so I find that it is better if you can put all your focus in when you're being creative. I find that it really does, for me at least, it helps me focus. No, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, oftentimes I, okay. So I guess going back to the original question, which you've kind of sidetracked from, like for me, the ideal creative thing is to be able to fly a whole crew out to some exciting location with clothes and like the best hair and makeup artists I know and create these really beautiful images. A lot of my artistic philosophy is based on the thought of universal beauty um, as opposed to injecting myself into it. Because I think as an artist, when you create something, whatever your field, you already have your unique thumbprint on there because the experiences that have informed your life automatically impact how you view the world and then creates, you know, whatever you're creating. So I try to really step myself out of it when I'm making something and really let the universal beauty of things take control. And then everything, all my experiences kind of automatically show up in that work. And I don't need to think about, oh, I need to add this experience in this project because it's already there. Um, I love that. I'm going to tell you why I love that. People go through so many hoops. They jump through hoops. They do so many things to make a scene. What you're telling me is all you have to do is go out into the real world, travel the world, and you find these beautiful scenes. You find these beautiful people, beautiful things, beautiful scenes. And all you have to do, your thumbprint is just capturing it in a certain way, in a certain light. And that's all you have to do rather than trying to recapture something that's already out there and already beautiful and organic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, I mean, I'm a huge nostalgia junkie, uh, but I think it's funny. I've been thinking about this concept of nostalgia uh, a lot recently because it kind of has this golden glow about it when you think back to something, but if you really dissect it, at least for me, that, that feeling you get in like the pit of your chest, you can experience the same feeling when you're daydreaming about something in the future. We just don't call it nostalgia so then it comes back to the thought of okay if I can feel that in the future and I can feel it in the past what happens if I try to recreate this feeling in the present and that's when you're really in the moment and creating for me because if it's the same feeling then you're kind of accessing this library of different experiences you've had without even trying to if that makes sense uh it does make sense I, I get what you're saying but it, uh in terms of oh, sorry yeah, no you continue oh yeah yeah but in terms of where I see myself it, I I tend to go on these huge tangents and they, they come back uh, to themselves. But photography, it's a way to- That's a real artist for you. <laughs> That's a real artist for you. As long as it makes sense. <laughs> I could follow. I don't know if anyone cool, else could, cool. but I'm following. Continue. Okay, cool. So um, in the future, I mean, because I have all these interests, I think photography is really the, I'm a very visual person. So that's very, that's the front facing aspect of it. Um, I've taken self-portraits before. I think that's very fun, kind of playing with the, the dichotomy of how others perceive you and objectifying yourself. But is it objectifying yourself if it's just you behind the lens? Kind of reducing that, that capacity of what is art, uh, which is very exciting because if you're creating without the intention to capture something, does that defy the general principle of what it is to be an artist? I don't know. I feel like art's such a general world word, but for me, there's kind of two sections of art. There's one where you're recanting all these experiences and there's one where you're creating and, but they're used interchangeably. So these, these whole things. So as a visual person, as an artist, as you would call it, uh, moving forward, I'd love to ex kind of expand that. I mean, I have a whole bunch of ideas of what I want to do. Uh, but now I just love to travel the world, obviously, post pandemic, creating, my art, I'd love obviously brands to trust me with that vision and the way I, I view things. And then from there it can grow. I mean, I, I find it really important to be on podcasts such as yours and various press outlets because so often artists don't express what they are aside from their work, which is fine. Uh, but for me, I really want to take that work, have it be its own body and then still have me as myself and uh, see what it can create together as opposed to viewing it as one 
thing. So that's why I said before, there's this division I've kind of created between myself and my work. They're the same and they're the same person, but also I, I don't try to put too much of myself inherently in there. I'm just the, the sculptor and the, the world will create itself. I like that. That's from also, again, a, a true artist. Um, I totally get what you're saying. I think that it's kind of interesting. Um, you also did some production. I know that you did yeah. some production as well. How did you get into production? How did you have these opportunities? I, it's, it's just kind of the way of an artist's life, I, I think. I mean, you I even mean, did a video, you produced a video, I think, for Mariah Carey. Am I, am I right on that? That's a bit, that's reaching a bit. I didn't okay, do anything but with the video. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've worked with some, I've worked with some great clients. I've been very fortunate to do so. I work with a great production house uh, to this. I can't take the credit 100% of grabbing those clients, but I've, I, it's definitely great to be on set. and. But just know, even having a hand scene. in it yeah. is great. Yeah, I mean, you all the best productions that. I mean, are Everything hands. is yeah. tons of hands. Everything that is, absolutely. I always, I love having a great team and that's really important for me too when I'm creating either if it's a production or if it's my own photo work. I always try to make it as diverse and international as possible because kind of going back again, it all depends on what your worldview is and yours is different from someone who grew up in Italy or someone who grew up in the South or grew up in Latin America. And uh, I think the best productions for me or photograph photographs, whatever happen when you have a whole bunch of different viewpoints that can see things differently. So that's very important for me. But in terms of how I actually got into it, I mean, again, serendipity, and then you're just capturing that. Uh, yeah, I mean, do you New see York, yourself you doing know? more producing? I mean, yeah, I guess this kind of goes back again. Uh, I mean, ideal in the ideal world, I would produce and photograph all of my shoots and then kind of have that whole system down. So when a client comes to me, uh, they have the, the full package there. And of course, that's a huge task. And again, you have to have a great team for that. Uh, so it's a process and I'm not quite there yet, but I'm, I have a, a good body of work on both the photography and production side. So it's kind of, you know, merging those worlds together. Uh, and I'm really big on juxtaposition, as you might have been able to on which, right Say now. that again. You're very big on what? Juxtaposition, if you've been able to. No, to tell me, what's the juxtaposition? That. So, well, just in my artwork, we have this classical kind of contrasted with this whimsical aspect. And uh, then also photography, which is a lot more artistic, generally perceived by the public, with this a lot more analytical side of producing something and then kind of combining them together. It's kind of an abstract concept to have someone that can do both or at least have the the team that can do both so uh it's something i'm working to build because the world in my opinion is very like this a lot of the time and i like to challenge that but well and I, what you're doing is is like you're what you're saying is that the world is very almost kind of uh looking one way one dimensional is that what you're kind of trying to say i think i think in a lot of ways if you yeah. if you well, agree with single, you yeah, I mean, if you take a single person as a worldview and you get them in a group, then there's a whole group of people that has this worldview. And I think this is where a lot of global conflict come from, comes from in general. And I, I mean, art has historically had the, the power to make cultural shifts. So I think it, it has a power to do that uh, in general. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, I think art, like many other things, art, to me, in my opinion, turning into a lost art almost. Mm. Um, we're not seeing as many photographers as we used to, or at least notable ones, um, you know, like Bruce Weber, Tony Duran, um, La Chapelle, Terry Richardson, Herb Ritz, Avedon. I mean, all these photographers that you could name were just in my era. And now as I'm getting older, and I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, everything seems to be about social media. Do you think it's diluting the art? Since everyone's getting these fancy iPhones, taking their own photos, you know, naked pictures, you know, everyone's just doing these things. And this is how they're but, blowing up their Instagram page. And it's almost like people don't need photographers anymore. I mean, I have a love and hate relationship with Instagram or social <laughs> media in general, because it's given me so many opportunities, but also it does have a great diluting factor, like you say. Um, and you're right. I, I can't think of a photographer in the last really 10 years that is really like been an icon again or an artist really that's been an icon to the the large public which for me it's really sad because you know we need these icons to kind of shape I mean 
when was the last Madonna of music? I mean, I suppose you have people like Ariana Grande and stuff, but uh, there's no one that's lasted so long. And I think that's true in the, the visual scope as well. And that's why I think, you know, building a world around yourself and your brand and your artwork is so important. And then projecting that world correctly. And I'm a control freak, so it's great for me. But it is good. For you. So you are a control freak. That's interesting. I, I was I was not going to ask you that question, but I am one too. It's exhausting, isn't it? Very. It's very. exhausting. <laughs> Do you have any favorite <laughs> photographers that you ever look at and say, oh, I loved his work or that's kind of what I want to do? I mean, it's kind of a basic answer, I suppose, but I love Mizell. Uh, yeah, I love I, I love the way he captures reality in kind of a nonchalant way. Uh, there's this one story that was in Vogue Italia, I, I believe, and it was this series of images uh, where the, the models all had these masks on. And it's very unsettling to look at, but all of them are just sat and poised in such a natural way that it seems normal almost. Like there's one I love, she's uh, lounging on like a pool chair. And there's these like, I, I think they're three Doberman dogs motion, like walking around her. And it's so I striking. Know it's beautiful. Yeah, you know, I know the photograph, of course. It's beautiful. I love you that. Also, one. compared to Mizell. Yes, by my friend. Uh, sorry, there's a fly, and I instinctively moved back. Uh, my my friend Vanessa. She was a model in the '80s and '90s. She grew up in the '80s, model in the '90s. Uh, but she's very protective of her age, so I actually don't know how old she is. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I met her, we met for coffee, and uh, whenever I go out with her, I have to literally block off the entire day because we're both have this energy where we just talk to people and then it turns into like we get coffee at noon and then we're out at like 1 a.m because some strange series of connections uh with people which i feel again that's for me that's being an artist meeting people and you know learning and, and stories and uh I think that's why we get along so well because i feel like we have that similar not that i was working then but 80s 90s energy of you know making that vision, which I think is lost a lot. I think you have definitely an older soul than someone of your age, because that is definitely the way I think we used to conduct ourselves. It used to be about the person you were with and really bonding with them. And I know time would get away. And I don't know if it would be actually as long my days when I'd spend mm -hmm. it with people that I liked, but I definitely would wind up spending hours with people. And there was something really kind of nice about that as opposed to today where everything seems very rushed and everyone's living in their phone and everyone needs to document everything they do. You know, I'm kind of like you. I love and hate relationship, except mine is just hate. So, you know, take away the love. I just have a hate relationship with Instagram and social media. It's not my thing, you know, but then again, I'm older than you are. I didn't grow up with it. I don't like living in my phone. I just don't I mean like it. I, I like Instagram because it's so visual, but then now the whole TikTok thing is like coming and I absolutely hate, I don't love it. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, I, I don't. But is it reaching the right target? I don't know. I, I'm kind of at the point where I want to, uh, I just want to be, you know, I want to be and I want everything to almost be gravity towards me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't want to try so hard. I, my, my goal in my life is not to try so hard on Instagram so I can get famous. So let's try so hard on TikTok so they can all follow me. I don't care. Like if I have enough, if I take up enough space, then gravity will do the rest essentially. And that's kind of my mindset. Like I just want to make art and make my vision and uh, hopefully people will see that and identify with it and come along for the right. ride. But yeah, because it's true. I think a lot of previous artists, even some of the ones we mentioned, created a lot of unrest, whether it was in the studio or in their lives. Do you think it's necessary now in today's world to have to have some kind of a crazy thing going on, a scandal, or to just create some kind of division in order to be successful? I mean, it's easier to get followers, but it depends. I mean, it depends what you want. Like if you're on a reality TV program or something, I'm sure you could easily get a lot of followers and then that could skyrocket your career. Does that mean you're good at what you do? I don't know. But it, again, it depends what you want. Do you want money? Is that what you, is that what you want? Is it going to make you happy? I mean, sure. But for me, that's not going to provide me validation. I've lived with lots of money. I've lived with no money. For me, it's the experience. Uh, maybe that's me as an artist talking, but 
that's what I care about. I care about the experience and learning and growing and creating. And money, of course, is nice, but it's not going to solve anything. So if you just want to play the game and you want to get money and followers and whatever, and that makes you happy, I mean, go ahead. But for me, that doesn't provide value. So I'd, I'd much rather have 500,000 or even 25,000 or 500 followers if we're getting into that, who actually are engaging and caring about my work and saying, wow, this is making me think, this is making me see something differently, as opposed to uh, 10 million 12 year olds who saw me and thought something I said was funny and then they're gonna follow. And as soon as I say something that's a bit controversial or something I believe in, they're going to ban me <laughs> or cancel right. me from the end. You know, I mean, now granted some things are, I think worth, like if you're being clearly like, homophobic or just disgusting human like right that that should be condemned but i feel like it's getting to a point and i hope it but doesn't continue this way different i just want to i just want to make mm -hmm. sure i make the the comparison it's okay to condemn but i think it's not okay to cancel i think it's i think it's going to a place where even having a different viewpoint that's not cohesive to the mainstream is worth being canceled, which I think is horrible because you need you need discussion and discourse to to move forward. Right. So, so, so you agree up. that the whole cancel culture of doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing on Instagram or something, it's okay to condemn it. I'm fine with that. My problem mm -hmm. is, you know, freedom of speech was not based on speech of love and compliments. No. The whole basis of freedom of speech was based on saying things that you don't believe in and things that you might not agree with. And although I don't like a lot of things I hear, I don't like the cancel culture to me is even worse, especially- I, I think it takes a life of its own in a lot of aspects. Like all it takes is one person with a, a, a empty profile picture to say something that someone sees and like, oh my God, I agree with that. And again, this goes back to the idea that people have the, their vision of the world and if they see something that validates that they're going to support it. Um, and when you're dealing with lots of young people, especially, I think it becomes easier to just hop on that train because you're not thinking so much. It's so easy to just push a retweet or whatever button. And then it, and then it takes off life of its own. And then the media gets involved and the media just wants money and views. Uh, so they, then cycle this story and then it becomes a whole drama and in the end it's not about the ethics about it it's about getting the money and getting the views and growing your platform which it's a bit abstract but that's how i view it well, uh, i think you have a great understanding of it and what i like is that not only that you have a great understanding but you're young and you're such a successful artist already at your age and i'm hoping that maybe you could mold your art into something that's going to make people think that, hey, you know, maybe this moment in time, what we're going through now with everybody getting canceled, you know, sitting in their pajamas, writing a comment or finding a tweet from 10 years ago that they didn't like to get people fired from a job or hated, you know, I mean, I mean, that's, that's weird for me, too, because I mean, everyone, I think does crazy things when they're young. And then to say, like, this defines you as a person from 10 years ago, I don't know that that's that's true. not I mean, true. Some some people say the same, I guess. But for me, I've I I'm like a chameleon in many ways, and none of them are disingenuous. They're just like Shane. I'm going to tell different you parts a of myself. Don't tell anyone. I, I say anyone. stupid shit all the time. I will mm. say anything if I think it's funny. So mm. this whole cancel culture thing and and kind of feel like I'm avoiding landmines is exhausting. I always say when I do this podcast and I talk to people, I don't want the word police. Just, I don't want the word police coming after me. Fuck off. I want to say what I want to say. Send the email or or comment to somebody else. I'm not interested. I, I mean, that's a, like a decent way of viewing it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I like the way you do that. I'm too, I'm, too, I'm too meek to say fuck off to, to people, I think. But uh, uh, I would always- You're too that's polite the, because that's you're the British, Midwest. That's the British, <laughs> that and then the British politeness is, I have to- caution it sometimes because sometimes I'm being like too polite I'm like okay I just need to like speak a little straighter here because I, I, I but you no, remind me of Brad say. very much you know that he does not like the f word at all he turns off the television when I listened like I said I love Lana Del Rey he he loves her music except he doesn't like the curse words he's just not that you remind me of him he's polite but the curse words go off through my mind all the time but yes, I just I'm don't sure they do. <laughs> you just they don't come out of your your mouth most of the time 
No, not usually, unless you like really get to me. <laughs> you seem but like my, you have that very cool rocker demeanor. You seem yeah, like- I mean, it's not, it's not my business half the time. I'm like, okay, you're going to do that. Cool. Unless you like start doing something that's like affecting other people, not my business. Uh, which I think it should be adopted by more people. Like you should, you have to things that are canceled. People don't even know the circumstance, which if it's, again, if it's really bad, condemn it, please, please condemn. But, but again, there's the difference between condemning and then wanting to shut it down, getting them canceled, you know, and all the other stuff that goes along with it, getting them fired. Well, it goes back to, you know, what, what, what is the truth? Is it what has been retweeted a thousand times and what everyone sees? I mean, essentially, that's what it turns into. So uh, I don't know. So you're not a social media junkie, so that's great. Do you no. think? Do you think you're? You, do you think you can survive? Do you think you can survive at your age, um, being as successful as you are as a photographer, being notable, people know you? Do you think you're able to do that? I without being a social media junkie. I mean, I think yes. What do you think? Do you think you're gonna have to I jump mean, on that? I pretty much use Instagram as a business tool and I don't really get on it. Otherwise, like I'll go on to post and then I reply to everyone because I love talking to people, but uh, I'm not on there scrolling all day. I don't really follow pop culture celebrities so much. Like I follow accounts that are interesting to me and I get inspiration from and I love to share that too, especially in my stories. I like to do that, but uh, I'm not like constantly on checking what the next thing is I'm kind of just doing my own thing and letting my intuition guide me for the large part uh, on what to do and what I need to do. And it hasn't led me astray really so far. So, I mean, I always, of course, I'm going to continue posting and all of these things, but I never, like, for example, I never let people know where I am. Like these people, I have friends that have like a million followers and then they're out here like, oh, look at outside my window. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know, one of them is crazy you know one of them is crazy and you know one of them is going to look at the, the street sign that's right there and they're right. going to uh, find real, like, come on, no. I don't even post, unless I'm in New York, if I'm like traveling or something, I'll just take a whole bunch of photos as I do and then like two months later, I'll post put it them. on my story. And the people are like, oh my God, you're, and I'm like, no, that was like, you don't need to know where I am. Like, why? You know, I, it's funny. I'm very private. I'm a very private person. And Instagram has been kind of a little bit of, you know, I was told I had to do it when I started designing. And then, you know, I, it's, it morphed into something different because I wasn't interested in really Instagramming. And then I take these beautiful photographs of my kids and, you know, I'd start posting those and then I made the account private and I never would put where I was, you know, I'm kind of private. I mean, there's no, there's nothing on it than just photographs. You know, there's no, moments in history there's no moments mm -hmm. in time so i get what you're saying i don't like to put where i am or what i'm doing and people do like to post it everything that they do and that's fine there's nothing wrong with it it's just not my thing and um it's so hard because i feel like i'm living against the grain I feel yeah like in I, order to be successful in everything you do you have to like do something you don't want to do and i'm not succumbing to it and i'm glad that you're not either and you're doing it your way yeah i think I think you have to be bold in many So let's ways. make a deal, Shane, me and you. Let's mm. stick to this bullshit. Let's both of us do it our way, work around it, and let's not fall in to the category of what society now wants us to do with Instagram. Okay, deal. Let's our right, deal. And if I'm going to follow you and I'm going to be one of those trolls, if I see too many uh, posts, I'm going to call um, oh, no, I, I'm, you. I'm out. like, I'm so crazy about, like, even my grid, I plan it out like, there's an app I use where you can plug in the images and I have to make sure it looks pretty when you're scrolling down through it. I'm like, so, so unless it like has a place on there, I'm like, it doesn't. And then you start deleting go. it when you start scrolling and something doesn't belong in there and your Instagram, do you start like taking them out to make sure it looks I, I have, Yeah. but, but at this point it's like become so meticulous that doesn't really happen so much anymore. But sometimes I do like an impulse thing and I'm like, Ooh, that doesn't really work anymore <laughs> so then i just like archive it or whatever but before i have like 200 something posts on there before but uh before i had i want to say like 4,000 posts or something i deleted wow. like all of them because i got my first phone when i was like 14 or something and i would just like take pictures of them and instagram just came out then too or something and i would just like post it 
because I was like, oh, this is fun. I'm going to be artsy or whatever instead of doing selfie. And uh, I had to delete them because I didn't want clients looking back at me like, what is this picture of a Smurf figurine doing? <laughs> yeah. I'm not joking. <laughs> this is what you have to worry about when you're in mm. social media. When you're on social media, these are the things you need to worry about. Who you're oh, you have no idea with. how annoying it was. I had to, it took me days, weeks probably. Because I, I, I do it like an hour a day just like going through deleting. I'm like, my God, this, <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah, it's easier to just not post because then you have to go back and delete it. I have to ask, where do you get your fashion um, where do you get your fashion from? What, what inspires you? I love the way you dress. You're very like come de garçon, yet you're a little bit of Balmain. I mean, you're a little bit of everything. I just love it. Do you have a mm. specific designer that you like? Where do you get your inspiration? I mean, the reason I'm, I'd say working in fashion beauty, it's because for me, the clothing is itself an artwork and I want to use that in my artwork because it's like if you're making a painting, you can paint whatever you want. Uh, photography, you're a little bit more limited and uh, then money becomes involved. And you, of course you have your team, uh, which is why building a team is important. But in terms of like clothing, I mean, I get vampire chic a lot if we want to be colloquial about it. Yeah, uh, I see that. But I mean, I, I mean, I just kind of do what I think looks cool. I, again, I always like keep myself rooted in the classics and then kind of modulate to the trends or or what have you uh but i mean some of the people i love i love ysl i love mcqueen uh fendi sometimes missoni sometimes yeah. gucci's always fun it's a little bit more whimsical which i love yeah. uh we'll take See, it i'm not a big fan good. of such identifiability like, yeah i love gucci. oh i hate i hate i hate uh i i was gonna get these shoes once and then they had a huge gucci on the back and i just said i don't want that there i want it to look cool not so yeah but then again on you at your age it's okay with it i find that at a certain age it's like you gotta be a little simpler yeah but for me even the the brand names on clothes for me it's like a dividing point like i have friends of all all sorts of people i have like ex navy seals that are my friends and i have uh people who ran for like Green Party mayor, so like completely different political. I have completely different income spectrum friends. So for me, even having like that label on there, it's like a huge amount of privilege almost. And I, I, I always try to relate as an artist, especially with lots of people. So I, I try to keep it cool looking, but ambiguous at the same time, because I don't want to like you, you can get I'm sorry, but you can get judged for having like a big Gucci and your thing like oh look at you with all the money like you don't know how I got that like a lot of my clothes in my wardrobe I've gotten is like a gift from a shoot or they've just been left over a studio and they say hey do you want this like there's so many ways or I could have thrifted it for like five dollars there's right. this great shop me and Vanessa go to down downtown and it's like I can't give away too many details because we're sworn to secrecy of where it is I'll but get it out think, of you later we think, I'm gonna we shake you the, down later when this is over <laughs> <laughs> we think the uh uh, the kids in school with like wealthy families, we think they go there and donate their stuff after it's not cool anymore. And the people who run the shop have no clue. So you can get like these really cool stuff for like $2 when it retailed for like a thousand. <laughs> right. So see, that's, that's fun. And see, to me, that's a sport. That used to be my thing. I used to go down to, I forgot what it was, not Patricia Field. It was, um, I forgot the name, but you know, I ran into the, um, one of the Dolce & Gabbana's, um, team and they would buy all of these polos these wool little polos that i would buy and they used to replicate them that's where they you know dolce and gabbana and all these designers used to go down there i'm going back 25 years ago to buy their clothes in order to get inspiration from there you go yeah, i think so, i love old clothes uh, timeless things yeah i haven't gone to a, a thrift store or a you know one of those stores and in maybe 10 years, but I love that you're doing it because that really, it shows you're enjoying New York City, you're living the life of what New York City really was at its best. When New yeah, York I feel was like at its best, that's what it was like. Going to these vintage stores, running into Andy Warhol, Keith Herring and Debbie Harry every Sunday at the West, in the West mm -hmm. Village, I used to see them all in these I mean, secondhand I, I, stores. I really long for this kind of energy. Not that I, I've had the luxury of experiencing it in New York's heyday or whatever but again like we said before there's not this artist culture anymore it's everyone trying to be famous uh in my perspective and 
that's so boring to me. Like, come on, do something cool. But uh, when I when I was living in London, I lived in East London in a place called Hackney Wick, which I imagine, I like to imagine, was very much like this old New York City. I mean, so the, the area I lived there, it was very industrial. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of old warehouses and pretty much artists uh, would live in these warehouses. So these like huge, like one was a peanut factory, for example, and uh, each room of the warehouse would be someone else's uh, like living space. So there'd be like 10 artists in one warehouse. And then this, this huge open like factory area, I guess in the middle was like a common space. Um, and every weekend, uh, they would turn into these huge raves. So each warehouse would kind of have its own vibe in it. And then there'd be like a DJ that would come in. There'd be like a little mini bar set up. And this area was so safe because it was all artists there. And it was kind of geographically uh, separated by the, the Thames Canal and then also a highway. So it was kind of secluded in many ways. So it was kind of like its own little world there and police didn't really come by. So all sorts of things happened. Uh, but pretty much you could walk around there at like three, four in the morning, hopping between these warehouses with all these like really genuine, genuine could be great, it could be horrible, but they were genuine people and you would just uh, feel completely safe because uh, it was their town in a lot of ways. So I like to imagine that's what New York was kind of like, but I, I don't know. It was fun, man. I got to tell you, it was so much fun, but it seems like you're living it. It seems like you're living it. You're living it the best way you can under the circumstances now. You know, I, I always say I'm in my own little bubble world. Like I'm very aware of all the things, <laughs> all of the things going uh, on around, but I mean, yes, I'm aware and I'm I, I, very like conscientious about this, but at some point you have to make your world real and not just in your mind. Yeah, I mean, we uh, said something- I think we have a great power to do that. Yeah, and I, I think you do. I, I loved having this conversation with you because I, I already know your passions. I mean, it's so easy to Google and, and you know, find out, you know, about your photography, about what you've produced, but what's even better is to find out how you are as a, as a person, especially being a young person, being so artistic, now living in New York City, coming from the Midwest, during a pandemic, being quarantined. I mean, all of this is great to find out about from you. And um, I don't know, I think it's great. I'm glad to have you in New York City. I feel like you're the kind of person that I wanna run into again. I, I miss it. I miss the days of running into these, you know, into these artists, into these people that really had their own vision, their own feeling, and you're part of it. So really welcome, love having you in New York City, I have to tell you. Oh, this is a great much. conversation, I have to tell you. Thank you. And thank you. I hope to do this again with you. Yeah, likewise. Okay. Thanks so much for the good Take questions. care, Shane. You Bye. too. Bye. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com. 